Luke chapter 9. Let's stand together, please. Now, we've been talking about the disciples' call. And um, it's been, this, this study has been very helpful to me, very challenging to me personally. Just to look at the life of the disciple as, as it's taught in the scripture. And I hope you're taking it seriously. I hope you're thinking through the implications of this. And um, we began by making a, a comparison or a contrast, really, between what the word Christian and the word disciple. And, and really, as far as I'm concerned, biblically, biblically, it's easy to dispel the idea that there is such a thing as a Christian who is, has faith in Christ for salvation but has no real walk with God and, and that's, what, that's acceptable. And then a disciple who's expected to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so to me, that first, that first definition is really a creation of the generation that we live in. And it's not, it's, it's not taught in the Bible. It's not there. There is, no, there is no place in the Bible where you have people who pray a prayer for salvation and live for themselves all their life. And they have assurance of going to heaven when they die. That's not biblical. And if, if, you have, if that's a real world in your mind, you need to try to prove it by the Bible because you can't prove it by the Bible. All, all those who followed Jesus were, I'm not saying they didn't sin, I'm not saying they didn't slide back, I'm not saying they didn't make mistakes, but they were all expected, expected to be followers of Jesus. Amen. That'd be a good place for an amen. So we talked about the disciples call to learn and grow the disciples call to follow if any man will come after me young person a christian is someone who follows jesus comes after jesus doesn't just believe in him intellectually they're following jesus they're wanting to obey jesus they're wanting to do what he says we don't do what he says to be saved we do what he we want to do what he says because we are saved we're called to engage and care about people We're called to deny ourselves. It is the calling of God upon every one of his children to deny yourself, to say no to yourself. We've been called to that. We've been called to serve, to minister to people. We've been called to love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. We've been called to teach. That was last week's lesson. The things you've heard of me among men who witness, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're called to teach. So tonight we're going to look at the disciples' call to to look forward, to continue. Look with me, if you would, please. Luke 9, 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's what someone said to him. Lord, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus said unto him, it's going to be easy. <laughs> Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. It's not going to be an easy life. You say you're going to follow me? I'm just telling you up front. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be convenient. That man initiated that conversation. That man said, I will follow thee. Verse 59, we have... a." There's another situation where Jesus initiated it. 
59, and he said, Jesus said unto another, follow me. It was a command, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I've got to to do some things before I can follow you. Now contrast that with the way James and John responded when they were mending nets and Jesus said, follow me. And they immediately got up and left their father and left the nets and they followed him. Contrast that with Andrew and Simon who were fishing and Jesus said, follow me. And they immediately left the boat and followed him. Contrast that with Matthew, Levi, the publican who was sitting at the receipt of custom, who was sitting at his government job, and Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And he got up out of his desk and followed. Here's a guy who says, you know, I got some stuff I need to do first. <clears throat> Let me go. Jesus said to him in verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, and another said, also said, Lord, I will follow thee. Can, can you see that this is some, this is going, this conversation is going on among these people about following Jesus? I mean, it's inter- very interesting. I will follow thee, this third person says, but let me first go to bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Now, Intentionally, God didn't give us a lot of details about this. You know, what does that mean? Who's at home? How long are they going to be there? Are you going to go home and say goodbye and come back? Are you, are you going to wait? Are you waiting till they graduate from high school and go to college? I mean, what do you what do you what do you mean when you say we don't know that? But we do know what Jesus said in verse sixty two. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, don't look back. So so a part of the call to discipleship is to continue, to keep going forward, not to stop, not to look back. Is that right? That's what it says. We've been called to continue. Lord, thank you for your word that reveals your will. Please help us tonight with open hearts and minds to receive with meekness your engrafted word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I wanna, I'm going to leave this passage here. This is going to be a classic example of read a passage and then preach about everything else. <laughs> no, it's not really. <laughs> I want to look at I'm going to look at isolated verses in the Gospel of Luke chapter nine. So let's go to Luke chapter nine. We're in Luke chapter nine, but let's look in verse one. I just want to put this together um, as a context. Luke chapter nine and verse one. Then he, Jesus, called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and sent them forth to preach. So Jesus sends out the twelve. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 10, they come home. Luke chapter 9 and verse 10, And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. They reported upon the ministry, and he took them 
and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And so here the disciples have been out hither and yon preaching, fulfilling the ministry. They come home and Jesus says, let's have some time together. And while they're doing that, this crowd begins to gather. News got out that he was here. And it was a rather large crowd. Uh, 5,000 men, the Bible says, not counting women and children. And so Jesus tells the disciples to give them something to eat. The disciples said, let's send them away. Jesus said, I got a better idea. Let's feed them. And they said, we only have five loaves and two fishes in verse 13. There were about 5,000 men in verse 14. And Jesus in verse uh, 15 assigned them. All, let's get them all sit down in groups. He took the, he took the what limited uh, resources he had, he, he prayed over it, he broke it, he gave it to these disciples to set before the multitude. They did eat and were filled and were taken up with the fragments, 12 baskets of leftovers. We had some leftovers Thursday, but not 12 baskets, thankfully. Verse 18, it came to pass as he was alone praying his disciples with him. So, so now he's having a prayer meeting with his disciples. He's spending time with these disciples. And in verse 21... Oh, by the way, in verse 18, he, notice what he did in verse 18. They're praying, and he asked them a question. Whom do men say that I am? Jesus asked these disciples questions. What are people saying about me? And then he says, what do you say about me? He's teaching them. And I, I want to establish a pattern here, just seeing how Jesus discipled people. In verse 21, he begins to give them some intimate details about the future. He says, Verse 21, he charged them and commanded them to don't, not tell anybody, but say, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be slain and be raised from the dead. This is, this is what the future holds, gentlemen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to raise again on the third day. In verse 23, he reminds them about the cost. He said to them, if any will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so this is all a part of the instruction, all a part of the discipleship program. In verse 28, he takes Peter, James, and John, only three, up onto a mountain to pray. They're going to go have a prayer meeting. He didn't take them all. He didn't take everybody. He didn't take the 12. He took three. While he was up there, he was transfigured in their presence. And they saw something that Few people, only a handful, only a few people had ever seen before. He was transfigured before them. He came down off of that mountain experience. And the rest of the disciples were at the bottom of the mountain. And they'd been trying to help a demonized boy and unsuccessful to do that. And so in the course of their, their failure, Jesus um, cast out this devil and healed this, this uh, boy. In verse 40 it says... Um, this man says, I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus teaches them about their, the consequences, the danger of their unbelief. Look at, notice in verse 44, Jesus tells them again, Let these things sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. It was hid from them. He tells them again about what this, what's going to happen as far as his passion is concerned. At verse 46, he has to deal with some, a conflict among the disciples. In verse 46, there was a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. 
And Jesus gave them a lesson about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a servant. In verse 49, Jesus uh, or John answered and said, Lord, uh, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And he expected a pat on the back, but instead Jesus said, you did wrong. Forbid him not. He that is not against us is for us. So do you see that Jesus is not just helping people, he's not just ministering, he's not just teaching, <coughs> excuse me, but he's making disciples. He's teaching them and training them. He's giving them correction He's giving them instruction. He's, he's showing them where they're wrong. He's helping them make it right. In verse 54, another incident came up. And uh, there was a, the person who would not receive them. And James and John, spiritual men that they were, said, Lord, should we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? In verse 55, he says, you're so off track, gentlemen. You know not what manner of spirit you're of. The Son of Man has not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Now that all brings us to chapter 57, or verse 57, where we began. It came to pass that as he went, we're going to come back to this. But let's fast forward to Luke chapter 10. Then the very next thing, after, after the passage that we're going to dig into a little bit deeper now, in chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city. So now he's going to send out 70 men. And the question ought to come to our mind, where did those 70 men come from? I mean, who are these 70 men? Did they fill out a job description? Did they apply, apply online? No, these are people that Jesus has been training. These are people who've been disciples. There was, there, yes, the 12 went out at one time, but all along the way, Jesus is teaching and training and making disciples. They'd been trained, and how were they trained? They didn't go away to seminary, they followed him. They were trained following him. And so looking, let's go back to verse 57 and just look at the initial part of that verse, Luke 9, 57, it says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, they were just going along the journey. Now let me offer something to think about uh, here. There, there, there's more than one way to look at the life and the way Jesus lived, the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, the first one I want to give you I think is the most common way. Jesus went around doing good, healing people, raising people from the dead, casting out devils, teaching and preaching, right? That's the way, that's the, that's the normal, the customary, the traditional way of looking at the ministry of Jesus. But there's another way of looking at it, and that is he went around doing good, healing people, casting out devils, raising people from the dead, and discipling everyone who is following him about what the ministry is really like. And the second perspective is one that's generally overlooked. But it's really the most valuable one. Because Jesus didn't, when Jesus helped that man with his son at the, at the mountain, he didn't just help that man, he helped everybody he was discipling. This is why you couldn't do this. This is why you failed. This is, this is what could have been done to make this a more successful ministry opportunity. Every step of the way, he was helping people. And every step of the way, he was teaching his disciples. It's what parents generally do if they're engaged in the training of their children. You're always 
capturing teaching moments with your sons and daughters and teaching them what to do and how to respond. You shouldn't have said that. This is a better way to do that. You did good, son. I appreciate the way you showed respect to that person. It's, it's engaging. It's involvement. And that's the way Jesus did discipleship. And I think this is an important lesson for all of us. None of us can go back and walk with Jesus in a tangible, physical way. But we walk with Him by faith. We walk with Him in the pages of the Scripture, just like we've done tonight. You could take what we've done tonight in in Luke chapter 9, and we could go through that and go through that and go through that and go through that and learn a lot, not about what Jesus did only, but by how Jesus wants to use it in our life. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more He can teach us. The more He will correct us when we're wrong. There's something missing. If we're saved, there's something missing in our life if we do wrong and He's not correcting us. Would you agree with that? Because He's not correcting us doesn't mean He's not interested. It doesn't mean He's disconnected. It may just mean we're not walking close to Him. Like we ought to be walking close to Him. The closer we walk to Him, the more He can teach us. Here's what happens. And I don't think it's intentional on the part of people. I just think it happens. When we don't stay close to Jesus, seriously taking His Word into our life, listening to Him, consulting Him, asking Him questions... Learning from Him. If we don't stay close to Jesus, you know what happens? We're sort of left to our own imaginations. We're left to our own preferences. And the sad thing about that is there are many people, whether they're saved or not, I don't know, but they're, they're basically okay with the way they're living when the way they're living is not even remotely like what the Bible says a follower of Jesus should be look, living like. And how does that happen? Because He's not engaged in our life and we're not engaged with Him. We're just left to our own wisdom and we're left to our own deceptions. Being close to Jesus is not just good for Him. It's good for us. And you ought to ask yourself tonight, let's be honest. How close am I really walking with Jesus? Seeking Him. None of us are perfect. Don't, don't, don't go to that place in your mind saying, well, you know, none of us are perfect. I know none of us are perfect. Jesus, didn't, Jesus is not disappointed when you and I make a mistake. It's not a surprise to Him. But this is how He wants us to live our life. Consulting Him early in the morning, all through the day, into the evening, walking with Him. Spending time in His Word, sitting at His feet, asking Him for wisdom, getting His counsel, being willing to do. Well, you know, a, a, a true father of Jesus, when they, when they find something that they really want to do, but they question whether God wants them to do it, then they wrestle through that. To be able to say, God, you know that I'd prefer not doing this, but if this is what you want me to do, this is what I want to do because I want to be pleasing to you. That ought to be the process in all of our lives. 
But frankly, a lot of times people just get into this mode where they're just doing what they want to do. And thinking God's okay with it. Listen, God is not obligated to rubber stamp everything you think would be good. So that's the context of Luke chapter 9. I spent more time on that than I'll spend time on the verses we're going to look at. But with that in mind, let's go back to this passage in verse 57 and following. And one man, as they went in the way, they're just walking along in their way, and this one man offers this in verse 57, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That doesn't tell us a lot about this person. And I've asked myself before, why would he say such a thing? And here's why I think he would say such a thing. I'll follow you. Because there were a lot of people following Jesus. Lots of them. Maybe hundreds of them. Maybe more than that. He said, I'll follow you wherever you go. So I think one reason is because people were following him. Wouldn't you like to have been a follower of Jesus? I'd like to think I would have wanted to be. But also I think it's because he was calling people. He was always calling people. Why don't you follow me? Why don't you follow me? Hear me now. Jesus hadn't changed. I'm perplexed by a person who could sit in church and read their Bible and listen to sermons and never feel like God's calling them to follow him. I'm not talking about calling you as an apostle. I'm not calling you to be a follower of Jesus. He's always calling people. And for this reason, I believe, and others, perhaps, he he said, I'll follow you. And Jesus said, I'm just telling you up front, it's not going to be easy. I mean, the animals, the animal kingdom... And the birds of the air may have more conveniences than you will have at times. It's going to cost you. And by the way, that's a good lesson for all of us. It's going to cost us something if we're going to follow Jesus. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be convenient. I mean, what if he wants you to go somewhere where there's no Walmart? Imagine. Surely he wouldn't want something like that. I think I'm feeling the call already. Or a place where there's no air conditioning. Or a place where there's no indoor plumbing. But what if he just wants you to go visiting at church visitation on a Saturday? And you say, well, that's, you know, that's, that may be an inconvenience. Jesus told this guy, Jesus never said to this guy, Okay, you tell me what you're willing to do and I'll work my schedule around you. Jesus never said that. Jesus didn't even try to talk him into it. He said, I'm just telling you, if you're going to follow me, it's not always going to be easy. And I'm telling you, it's not always going to be easy. If it's always easy, I question whether you're really following him. Because it's not always easy. Sometimes you have to say no to something you want to do. Sometimes you have to put him first. Matter of fact, lots of times we have to do that. So Jesus said, it, it, it won't be easy. Then he, and then we have this person that Jesus called in verse 59. And he said, Jesus said unto another, follow me. He, I mean, Jesus was a man of few words, right? <laughs> follow me. There was no long explanation. You know, just, he just said, follow me. But he said, let me first go bury my father. Not now. I can't do it now. 
I'm not saying I won't do it, but I just won't do it now. I can't do it now. Now, I know that people could read this and say Jesus is insensitive and Jesus is not a family man and Jesus shouldn't expect that. But I want to tell you, let me just tell you something right up front. Let me, let me pose it in the form of a question. Who knows best when you should follow Jesus? You or Jesus? Who knows best? Jesus does. Would you agree with that? Jesus does. And we don't know all the details. We don't need to know all the details. Many people believe this man's father was not even dead. He was probably just sick or ailing or failing. But this was, this was, this, he said, well, I'll, I'll do it, but let me first bury my father. Let me wait till my father dies and then we'll do it. And, and really, I, I think about these people and I don't know what happened to them. But I know what happens in our life. I think every time we say no to something Jesus says for us to do, it becomes easier the next time to say no. This man should have said, I'm following you, right? I'm following you. And the world is full of people who once followed Jesus. And then they said, well, you know, I just, it's getting harder for me to you know, money's tied. It's going to be harder for us to tie this month. And, you know, it's harder to get out to church. And I used to go to visitation, but, you know, we got these conflicts now. Every time you say no to something that Jesus wants you to do, it becomes easier for you to say no again. So, Jesus, in verse 61, we have another person that said, Lord, I'll follow you. Interesting, they called him Lord. Kurios is the Greek word. Master, ruler. Lord, I will follow you. But, uh, let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And I, we don't, again, we don't know what was going on in his house. We don't have any family members there. We don't know, we don't know anything about it. All we know is this man requested a delay. I can't do it now. And Jesus, Jesus, in verse 62, ends this chapter, this teaching, by saying, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, there, there has to be lessons in that about discipleship, because this is all about discipleship. And one lesson in that, is, to me, that's obvious is, Discipleship is a decision to follow him. Just like putting your hand to the plow. Now, I've never plowed with a plow behind an animal. <clears throat> Some of you probably have. I never did. I, my, my grandparents had an old single plow that um, would have been harnessed to an animal. But, but you put your hand to the plow. Now, think about it. Just think with me. Putting your hand to the plow is a decision. It, and it's a decision to do what? It's, putting your hand to the plow is not a decision to um, take a rest or sabbatical. Putting your hand to the plow is a decision to work, right? It's a decision to serve. It's a decision to get involved. It's a decision to labor. And so... 
He's talking about discipleship and he says, when you put your hand to the plow, you're making a decision. And by the way, God wants all of us to do that. Nobody, there's not a person in this room. I could, I could call out people in this room and say, this person's a Sunday school teacher and this person drives a bus or this person goes to the jails or this person goes to the nursing home or this person does this. And I could call their name out, but all of them have something in common. All of them. Listen, nobody forces them to do that stuff. Now, some of them got involved by by trickery, which means, could you fill in for a few weeks till we find somebody else? And, you know, 20 years later, they're still there. So (laughs) they got in by trickery, but they all make a decision. It's a decision. If you're going to be a disciple, you're going to have to decide to do it. Your wife can't decide it for you. Matter of fact, there's some strong, strong language here about making that decisions when it may be, it may, it may not be always uh, easy on the family. I don't, I think family is important. I think, you know, we're family people. We love our family. But I think one of the, from, from the day we had small children, we felt like it was God's will for our life to teach and train our children to serve God. Right? Not just teach them to play soccer, nothing wrong with soccer. Not just teach them to play basketball, nothing wrong with basketball. Not just teach them to shoot a gun, we do all, but our main objective is to teach them to serve God. And that ought to be every parent's objective, teaching your children to serve God. And there may be times in the course of being a disciple that, that family, family has to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to adjust our plans a little bit because God wants us to do this. God wants us to put our hand to the plow, but we have to make those decisions. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to drive wedges in between people, but I'm telling you, I've known far too many men that did not and would not and, and in their mind could not serve God because they're wives. Now, I wouldn't want to be a wife. I would not want to be a wife keeping my husband from serving God. But I wouldn't want to be a man that my wife could keep me from serving God either. You say, you're making this hard. Jesus never tried to make it easy. We're not looking, we're not just looking for warm bodies. Jesus wasn't just looking for another name. He was looking for people who would follow him. And though some may look at that with a, with a bit of fear and trepidation and saying, oh, it's, it's so uncertain, I don't know if I could. I think many of us look at it as an adventure and saying, what a privilege, what an honor, what that God would call me and allow me to serve Him with my life. It's the greatest life there is. Serving God. Amen? And Jesus said, though, don't look back. He doesn't want us to look back. When you, any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. You know, I've, I, like I said, I've never plowed with a, a plow behind a, an animal, but I've plowed a lot and disked and plowed. And, um, and one thing I know, you can't plow halfway straight if you're always looking back. Looking back's bad for plowing. Don't look back. This gets a lot of people, by the way. This costs a lot of disciples their walk with God because they're looking back. You know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have. Maybe, 
I wonder if I'd have done this. And what, look what I gave up. Don't look back, Jesus said. By the way, that's one of the things that can disqualify us. And that's what he's talking about right here. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why would a person look back? Why would a person be serving God? We're not talking about plowing. We're talking about serving God. And, and some of you, I look at some people in this room that have been saved for a couple of years and they're serving God. And others have been saved for 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years and they're serving God still. Why would a person look back? And don't think there's not a tendency to look back. If there wasn't, Jesus wouldn't talk about this. First of all, I think difficulties... And that's what Jesus is warning these people. It's going to be difficult. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. You're going to face some difficult things if you're going to follow him. It won't always be easy. It's not easy to tell yourself no. It's it's not always easy to yield. Yield your rights. Yield your opinions. Yield your preferences to the Lord of your life. It's not always easy. I don't, think, I don't think the problem in life generally is that God's will is too difficult to know. I think the problem is sometimes it's hard to do. So sometimes people look back because of difficulties. Second reason people look back is because of distractions. The things of the world can be distractions. Occupations can be distractions. We have to have jobs. We have to provide for our family. I'm not saying that. But sometimes people get so wrapped up in their work, they just have to forfeit everything else in their life, and sometimes even their families. Relationships can be distractions. Carnal desires can be distractions. Distractions cause us to look back. Demas loved the world. Demas hath forsaken me, Paul says, having loved this present world. Imagine Lot's wife being rescued from the corruption of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God warned him, don't look back. Don't look back. But there was a part of that world that she really liked. Is that right or wrong? She looked back. Distractions cause us to look back. Difficulties cause us to look back. Thirdly, I say discouragements cause us to look back. I was reading today in Numbers 21 where it says this about the people of Israel. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They were discouraged. And by the way, those same people, when they faced times of difficulty, when there wasn't enough food or they didn't like the manna or there wasn't anything to drink, they started saying some words that to me are hard to fathom. We'd been better off back in Egypt. But you know, I've heard people who profess to be saved say similar things. You know, we had, we had a lot better before we got saved. I'm going to tell you, nothing about my life was better before I got saved. Discouragement can cause people to look back. Even Jeremiah I refresh my memory today by reading that passage where Jeremiah says, said about God, I'll not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. And the, and the context was the people weren't listening to him. The people weren't following him. And, and it got to him. It just weighed on him. And finally he said, I'm just tired of, I'm tired of this. Discouragement causes people to look back. Elijah himself 
had suicidal tendencies, I'd be better off dead. When you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Because of difficulties, because of distractions, because of discouragements, or because of deception. Let me tell you something. It is a deception to think that there's any life better than following Jesus. It is a lie from the pit of hell that any life is better than following Jesus. It's a deception. I mean, how could Israel want to go back to the slavery of Pharaoh and think that would be a better... You know why? Because they were deceived. And lots of people get deceived. They're they're plowing, they're serving, they get to thinking, you know, is all this worth it? Brother Wagner said something in in the Sunday school class today. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but something that many people have felt. You spend 10, 20, 30 years going to jails, giving up your Saturdays, giving up your Sundays, and very few people respond, and very few people seem to care, and those who seem to respond don't seem so serious about following him. And you get to asking yourself, you know, is it worth it? But as we all know, we're not doing it even for them. We're doing it for him. And it's, it'll be worth it. Deceptions. It's a deception. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had a decision to make. Am I going to be a follower or am I going to, or am I going to put, am I going to focus my time and energy on material things? And he was deceived and he was sad about it. Jesus said, don't ever look back. I'm, I need to be a better follower of Jesus. I think all of us would say we need to be better followers of Jesus. The closer we are to Jesus, the better off we are. The more we learn, the more he shapes us, the more he can instruct us, the more he can, he can correct us, the more he can encourage us, the closer we are to him, the more we're getting truth rather than these minds filled with false imaginations and deception. But the, to me, this... This last bit of advice to the disciples was don't ever look back. No matter what happens, don't ever look back. No matter how difficult, don't look back. Don't be distracted. Just keep following him. And if I was if I was of the mind that I had at some point in my life put my hands on the plow. And said, Lord, I want to follow you and I want to serve you. And I had taken my hands off that plow or started doing something else. I'd want to say, God, help me to get my hands back on the plow. And keep looking forward. And keep moving forward. Amen? Amen. Let's be followers of Jesus. Whether you're a housewife, whether you're a single person, a person with a family, a teenager, a young child, let's be followers of Jesus. Let's answer the call to follow him. And let's not put it off and say, well, one of these days, you know, when my my kids get out of the house, or one of these days when we get over this, or one of these days where there's always going to be something. My experience tells me there's always going to be something to keep us from doing the right thing. Right? Right? 
And we can walk with Jesus through the hard times just as good as we can walk with Jesus through the easy times. Amen.